right, let's record. All right, I will hit record. That's what you meant, uh, right? I did, yeah. Welcome to Geeks Without God with Molly Glover, Nick Glover, and Tim Wick. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We don't recognize moral authority. We don't accept divine superiority. We're geeks, geeks without God. This week on Geeks Without God, we are joined by our good friend Jonathan Palmer. He's with us to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus. And you know what we're gonna do? That's right, spoil the shit out of it. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. Welcome to Geeks Without God. I'm your host, Molly Glover, joined as always by my co-hosts, Nick Glover, Caw, Caw, and Tim Wick. I am the Winter Soldier. (laughs) And and you can tell from that amazing intro, we are here to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And to do that, we brought our friend and a very knowledgeable comics nerd, Jonathan Palmer. JP, how are you, buddy? I am doing great and excited to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, this, I'm assuming uh, that you have, well, obviously all of us, we've watched all of it, right? Yeah. Like, So we're going to spoil the shit out of it, guys. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, we're going to talk about every single little detail, every little bit, the very end. We're going to talk about it all. So if you haven't watched it yet, uh, it's only six episodes. Go watch it. It's not that much. It's really easy to binge it. It's a phenomenal show. So... Those people are gone. All right. This show was fucking great. <laughs> like, I, My daughter uh, and I binged it on Sunday. I mean, I watched it while the series is going on. She doesn't like to watch while the stuff is going. She waits till it all comes out. And yeah. so we binged watched the whole thing on Sunday. So I've seen it twice now. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's just start. I want to ask you uh, what was... Uh, this is a question to everybody, but especially JP. Uh, what was your favorite scene that maybe wasn't necessarily like plot, but was more like character, like enhancing, right? Because there was a lot of really good character stuff, I think, in this in this uh, one. So Tim and Nick, that question will be coming to you too. What was your favorite scene that was like, you know, flavor, additive, and not plot driving? Uh, well, it, it's hard to... to call it without plot driving i mean i love the the speech at the end that sam gave yeah both plot driving but also character yeah that moment that you could really feel captain america embodied in him when he's lecturing the the uh i guess they're senators senators. yeah yeah yeah. the gr the council yep 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 yeah that was great i uh yeah, and again, it's hard, like you say, it's, 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 it is only six episodes, so it's very hard to find a scene that isn't driving the plot in some way, just because it's, this really was like all killer, no filler. Efficient. Uh, very efficient, yeah, yeah. And of course, this is a Disney Plus show. I neglected to mention that, but I'm guessing you all already knew yeah. that. <laughs> if you're this far. One other piece is, is probably the conversation he had with Isaiah Bradley, where Isaiah pulls out the letters and is talking about what happened to him. So that piece also really set the stage uh, for one Sam to take on the mantle and for it to be something of meaning. You know, him mm-hmm. saying no self-respecting black man would do that, mm-hmm. and yet at the end, what you saw when he took it up, Isaiah was moved by that. Yeah, and moved by what Sam did. Yeah. Yes, I agree, and I think too, I I, I appreciated 
that uh, that th there was a rejection that Sam rejected that. It's a no true Scotsman fallacy, really, right? And kind of this idea of also like, no one gets to tell me what it means to be a black man other than me. I'm going to decide that, you know, and I thought that was really I thought that was really good. You know, not like I'm disrespecting elders or I'm not listening to your story, but more like I have to decide what that is for me. If I let everybody else tell me what it is, you know, that I'm not being true to myself. And what is how is that self-respecting? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, oh, go ahead. Good. No, please. No, it, and and I, and there's a there's a, a component with that where he just he understands Isaiah's pain. Isaiah's speaking yeah. from a place of pain. Yeah. Um, and it was you know the comic book. It was slightly different than what they did in the show. In the comic book, he actually comes before Steve Rogers. In the show, they made him after Steve Rogers. Um, and and there's some other finer points, but but it was really a, a chance to bring in the Tuskegee experiment and talk about that component. So. Isaiah's pain was really understandable and deep mm -hmm. and, and that helped frame, just like you said, Sam deciding this is the way I'm going to go forward and Isaiah coming around to that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. That was really powerful. I, man, I, um, it was, there's one speech in particular that, or one bit of, of dialogue in a scene for me that, uh, that Zemo has uh, with, I think it's when he's in the plane with Sam mm. and Bucky. Um, and he, he basically parrots the idea that desire to become superhuman is inherently extremist or, or fascist. And, and um, there are some really great uh, essays out there about how uh, superhero comics have even at their most pure or, you know, most ideal have this sort of a, um, ethical balancing act that needs to happen mm. with with the ideas of being super or or you know powered, and uh, it was almost like Zemo had read all those same articles online and was 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 kind of you know parroting those same facts, but for them it's real and it's not the, this hypothetical you know fictional characters that we like to enjoy. It was very much his his world, mm -hmm. and it the whole time. I just kept thinking like, yeah, but like literally the reason we are in this situation is because of Zemo. Like everything up mm -hmm. to this moment comes all the way back to civil war. Like, and, and which, you know, he initiated, he started in, in response to uh, his, his, you know, family uh, getting killed. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, and, and and compassionate and yet like also wrong and I disagree with it but <laughs> uh, it and it really made me hunger for Thunderbolts mm. quite a mm. bit. There's a there are many things in this show that made me want Thunderbolts and seemed to maybe set up that as a possibility. But that particular exchange just I I kind of like it anytime heroes are just able to have a philosophical conversation with a villain and it's not all punches, but an exchange of ideas mm -hmm. and the villain has a persuasive idea. They did this with Killmonger too, right? Yeah. The villain isn't necessarily wrong and that makes them a more compelling villain. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the villain can almost have uh, as many moments of empathy as a hero can. And that's kind of fun. Spider-Man homecoming, very similar. Yes. With, with yeah. culture. 
Vulture's yep. very compassionate. Yep. And you're like, yeah. oh no, mm-hmm. I get it. This guy's this guy's right. Well, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> he is until you know he's not. Right. But yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the yeah. point. It's like it's like you can create a a, a villain who with whom you can relate, but in almost every sense, what typically happens is they take their idea, which isn't in itself wrong, to an extreme that is wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what Kylie is in Falcon and Winter Soldier as well, right? Her Absolutely. her point of view isn't wrong. She's not wrong at all. It, but what she does when she starts killing mm-hmm. people who aren't necessarily related to yeah. her cause, but even if they were, when she starts that... When she when she reaches that point, she's reached a point that isn't okay anymore. No matter what, what reasonable perspective she began from. Yeah, uh, Tim. What was, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, ironically, that was what Zemo was on about. Is that you know she crossed that line, and that that's where they don't stop. That super soldiers go beyond the mandate, and with, with Carly, you know, it's it couldn't see the forest for the trees. They become, mm-hmm. you know, your your villains or adversaries become this ends justifies the means, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. And that's that's the difference between the hero and the villain is that the means are just as important as the ends. How you get there, the path that you get there, mm-hmm. is just as important as where you're arriving to. Yeah. And that's- Tim, what was what was a, a character building or a, a non non plot heavy scene that that you really loved? Uh, a scene that I think was a really important one is the first scene of episode two with John Walker, because um, mm. he's a really easy character to dislike. I mean, he's he's doing it wrong. And I mean, there, there's the point there, right? He, he is eff- effectively a hero, but he is not Captain America and he should not be Captain America. But when we get that that moment in the locker room before he he's going on stage, as it were, and see that he has a lot of doubts and see that he is is not a terrible person and see that Lamar is not is a good person and a supportive person and a caring person. When we see him go wrong, we can have more compassion for him mm-hmm. understanding that he's been placed in an uh, impossible position. Now he never should have s- accepted it. You know, of mm-hmm. course there, there's, there's the thing of when, when somebody comes to you and says, well, we want you to be the new captain America. Here's the shield that, that Sam turned down. The answer should be, there's a reason he turned it down, put that goddamn thing back in the case, but that's not what he did. And th- that's, right. that's wrong. He, he started from the wrong point and mm-hmm. continues to make wrong decisions. But we see that he's not an irredeemable human being when we first meet him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we also see how that relationship to Lamar is important, which, of course, translates into what happens later when Lamar is killed. Oh, spoiler. We Oh, we mentioned that that was <laughs> we mentioned that was going to happen. It's Sorry. True. What about you? Uh, so I really loved uh, uh, Mama Donia's uh, funeral where Carly starts talking about, because you, you kind of get a, a feeling that there's something obviously happened that's got her, you know, personally invested in this degree. But when it's like, oh, you know, she was orphaned, you know, it sounds like she was probably she was either orphaned by the snap or by what happened, I'm sure 
in the chaos that followed. Right. And so the idea that she was, cause it's like, it, you know, five years seems, doesn't seem like a lot to those of us who are in our late thirties and forties, right? Like five years, like I can remember five years ago, really clearly, like doesn't seem that long, but like if you're 18, 17, five years is so long. And so like, that is, you forget that a lot of these people were kids, you know, because it's so easy, like, oh, they call her young and it's like, oh, she was a teenager or whatever, but she, I mean, she was a kid. And so that, that she has that kid's idealism of things shouldn't be this way. Things should be better. They shouldn't be like this. And it's like, well, how do you fix it? And then again, with a very immature kind of idea, which is fucking blow it all up, I guess. Right. Like if we blow up the vote, they can't have the vote and then that'll fix it. You know, and it's such a it seems so logical, but it's also so childish to be like, I mean, that's not going to stop the vote. Right. Like, you know, that's not they're going <laughs> to they'll be able to have the vote still. Right. Like, but no, just to her, that's it. That's all they have to do. If they can just stop that one thing, that'll make it OK. And I think that that kept echoing for me her being that young and thinking about, you know, she was probably 13 tops, right? Maybe yeah. 12 when the snap happened and like how different that would be and how hard that would be and how much you would then cherish the people who took care of you. And, and then to see them get told they're now displaced persons who have to fuck off because governments decided that that's, you know, it, it just, it would be really hard. Yeah. Um, and I also, what did you guys, how did you feel about, I felt like this show was one of the first ones that, I mean, we got a little bit of it in WandaVision, but that really kind of delved into what happened when everybody came back, which I think was presented to us originally as, hooray, and then everyone came back, so it's okay, we fixed it. But we're really seeing the fallout of that. Uh, is there, did you like that? Did you not like it? Like, do you think they should have done more? Or what, what any thoughts on, on, on the, what, I mean, what's gonna happen with them bringing people back in the MCU? It's such a great opportunity. Uh, that's, man, I, what I was hoping we would get out of the Marvel Netflix series is really, I feel like, what we're getting with the Disney Plus series. And that's they are really delving into this universe, right? The Marvel Netflix stuff could have been set anywhere in any Marvel universe. It doesn't necessarily really a part of the mcu except for tangentially it's occasional easter egg yeah, th yeah this is we're really seeing this world and and how regular people uh are affected by these you know godlike beings destroying buildings and saving the world and and all that uh and i i will take as much of that as i can get mm -hmm. if they had a show that was um Oh, I can't remember what the what the reporter show the reporter comic was. Uh, shit, that Peter Parker works for for a while. It's uh, it's the spinoff of the Daily Bugle. It was a, a comic. Hmm. Yep. No, I, I'm I'm trying to think of it too. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. A, a Frontline. Uh, yeah, I think. Frontline. Yeah. Frontline. Yeah. yeah. I, I would watch a Frontline show with no heroes. Where it's just news. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I would or just you know journalists in yeah. the Marvel universe. Yeah. I would watch like a damage control show where it's just them in the aftermath of of the heroes and villains because like it's the mm -hmm. real it's a that's always been the appeal of Marvel. It's a real world. It's New right. York City. It's yeah. Chicago. Yeah. You get a you get a lot of that and and the 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 nice thing with. Um, 
the the whole viewing how things are are shaping up and the world's colliding and and all the changes is that it does make the characters more real it does make the situations because you can say oh this this all right so this is what we're doing now people have been gone for five years and then suddenly they show up and now what do you do kids who went who were in high i mean peter parker in high school half the kids that he was in high school with and yeah. now graduated in college and then yep. suddenly you come back and you got to repeat you know ninth grade or whatever it is yeah I mean, that sucks right there all your friends have moved on and like yeah and you're you haven't aged yeah it's is there's some really cool stuff there well i think the other thing that they do in falcon and winter soldier which i think um which they didn't address in WandaVision, and they're addressing different parts of the problem which is good right um but uh, what what but they address is you know, half the population disappearing is terrible. But five years later, half the population coming back is also terrible because in five years, everybody's adjusted and everybody's found a new way, a new way for the world to work. And that's been a good thing for yeah. for some people. And like, even if they okay. miss the people who are gone, and even if they're happy to have those people back, bringing those people back now creates a whole slew of new problems that they didn't even imagine they'd ever have again. Um, Thanos was kind of right. Like, I mean, like, because I mean, that's it, it's it's crazy. But like, you know, it seemed like from what other than people grieving, but five years you get through grief. I mean, you're not over it, but it's definitely t- enough time to take the, the, the burn of it away and the, the hard edges. Right. And then ever, there's enough food to go around. There's enough houses. Well, there's enough. It's it's with, with people coming back. The supply chains have adjusted to only serving half the number of people. Yep. And, uh, um, you know, d- people have been declared legally dead and have moved on and maybe gotten married again. Like, oh, yeah, like they. Yeah. That all, uh, them addressing that and making it a part of the plot and part of uh, Kylie's Carly. mo- Carly's motivation was mm-hmm. great. Yeah, I, but, I yeah. Behind the scenes, you have to you have to think about the fact that not behind the scenes, but unspoken is that Iron Man's selfish need to keep what he gained over the five years of the blip and saying that, that if they were going to reverse it, they had to bring everybody back, but not, but you know, as if with that five years still happening, so he yeah. could keep his not daughter just back, not just back, not just but back, yeah. but he, yeah. he gets to keep his daughter. That, that selfish act that he did has just a huge domino effect on everybody mm-hmm. else, both mm-hmm. positively and negatively. And, and, you know, while nobody's ever going to say, well, I think we all need to talk about how Tony Stark fucked us all over. <laughs> no, no, no one's ever going to say that, but he kind of did, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. but it, it it provides a nice setup because it epitomizes white privilege. Yeah. And, and what this does, what, what I really like that both uh, your point, Nick, around you know pe- people all coming back and and the adjustment of Molly, you're making this too. Um, and in the Falcon and Winter Soldier, you see this is this is an allegory for things like coming to terms with systemic racism. This is the allegory for what do you do about things like reparations, issues that people are saying, well, that was the past. We should move on. You know, that we've adjusted. We're not living in segregated bathrooms mm-hmm. and we're not dealing with things. But these problems still exist. 
they're revelatory now because you're being confronted with the issues with people showing back up and the world may have adjusted but there's also some people who don't move on mm-hmm. who five years wasn't enough time yep. they're still holding out hope and we don't necessarily see all of that um and and that may be something they delve into a little bit more but that opens up this door to really explore this idea of these problems that exist here in our society that we've never actually confronted, that we've tried to just move on and move past. And now with the things that have happened with the murder of George Floyd, with Dante Wright, now we're being forced to confront them. And that that was what I loved about Sam's speech at the end when he was talking about, we now have a common enemy. We now have an issue that we can face Mm -hmm. and we don't know how complicated it is but we could fix it if we work together. That made me think a lot of the pandemic, especially where it was like, because we talked a lot about how, you know, the pandemic was truly the only global crisis that any of us have experienced that, that that's happened in, I mean, I don't know if ever, honestly, that like since there's been, since there's been countries where literally every single person on earth, if you ask them, were you, you know, did, did you have any, did you have any, was uh, like, was there an effect of the coronavirus on your life? They're likely going to say, yes, there was something, right? Whether it was someone they know got sick or they got locked down or whatever else, then we all had this shared experience, which is so rare. And I think that there was a good allegory for that as well. Uh, because if we can't, like, it was so frustrating to watch politicians not be willing to give people relief for something that's literally affecting everyone or to hear people say things like, well, our kids are going to fall behind. And it's like, fall behind who? Like, you know, like who, who is the going other to kids like, who are going through the same yeah, thing like, is what, that the what? kids we're talking about and that's what's so frustrating and i think that's that is a very you know like you're saying it's a good allegory for white privilege because with white privilege you're able to ignore it and with wealth privilege with coronavirus people were able to ignore it and be like well it's not a big deal you just stay home and you order in all your groceries and it's super cute and we had to rent a lot of movies and it's like cool people are starving to death because they have no money so like it's cute that it's easy for us but like can we focus on like other not us people and that is not something humans are good at <laughs> in general hmm. Um, cool. Okay. So uh, let's talk about the villains. Uh, the the Flag Smashers really were the main villains, but also we had, I feel like John Walker was put as a villain for some scenes. We had Zemo in there too. Uh, talk to me about what villains you loved and maybe any villain moments you didn't love. Is there anything that you thought was clunky or should have been handled differently? Marvel's got to stop making likable villains because <laughs> Zemo is making it all attractive. You know, him and Killmonger and Loki, you're like, being bad isn't so bad. You know, I could do this. Also, I think I'm into dudes. <laughs> they are all very fashionable, attractive men. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting because I looked at um, – uh, Zemo was was just like you said earlier that you know he his ideas weren't all that bad necessarily and he was just you see him dancing in the club and you're like okay <laughs> you know I can hang out and have a beer with this guy uh-huh. not not necessarily bad um, Walker I think I got to give it up to Wyatt for playing that role perfectly yeah. because you did hate him and that's what you were supposed to do. And I, it's insane that anybody's giving him death threats be, because of the fact that the he's actor? an actor playing yeah. a role. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's how are you going to do Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell's son that way? Like they're America's sweethearts. Like, like, come on, wow, that's so shitty. But he did. That's how good he was. Yeah, is that he made you just from that first smirky smile when he steps out. You're like, oh, I hate him. (laughs) That feel does not belong to that man. Well, they just find the first veteran with blonde hair and blue eyes they could find. Like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's the thing about what Captain America stands for. Is it just somebody who has a service record? Is it just somebody who's blonde hair and blue eyes? No, it's heart. And that's mm-hmm. that goes back to the first movie. That's what Erskine was talking about. Is that you needed the little man? You needed somebody with heart. Um, the other interesting thing I thought was. The Flag Smashers, that that last scene with them reminded me a little bit of January 6th. Mm. This whole idea of... Kidnapping and... Kidnapping, trying to stop the vote. And while she had the, the, the reasons that you could identify with in terms of where her anger was coming from, the means in which she carried it out. And... We, the 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 piece that has driven me insane about whole January 6th is that there are people who have been left behind by their own party, mm-hmm. but they blamed it on everybody else because mm-hmm. they were they fed conspiracy. Yeah, because right. they were fed by their party the hey that guy wants your donut, you know, like yep. you know, <laughs> yeah. So you better get him. You better yep. kill him yep. and, and do that. Um, so it's not an exact comparison, but I, I saw some parallels there sure. in, in terms of that. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Tim? What about you? What, what, uh, what did you, how did you feel about the villains? Like, did you have any, um, look, I'll focus on the one that I think actually is, uh, pretty unlikable, uh, that, that we haven't really talked about yet. Cause it's like, oh my God, super surprised. Even though I picked up on it awfully quick is, um, Sharon's character. Um, yeah, the power broker. The power broker. Uh, there's nothing about her that's likable. She's <laughs> blaming everybody else for the shit that she went through. It's like, why didn't Captain America help me? Because he was in fucking jail. Jesus yeah, fucking yeah. Christ. And then half the world you're, disappeared. You're you know? like a CIA agent. Aren't you yeah, supposed to be like basically you're like, accustomed to getting burned? Like <laughs> You're like yeah. fucking rich. You trading <laughs> yeah. trading paintings and shit. Who gives a fuck? And then yeah. of course, and then and then as soon as she gets a pardon, she's using that to her, her own advantage. Um mm-hmm. and it's it's a shame. It's a character that I liked and I didn't like that that she was that she went so so twisted wrong. Um you know, and I, I would I, if they try and come up with a way to make me feel bad about it, I'm just not gonna because, you know, she she gets she tells Sam how much Sam let her down and Sam keeps his promise to her. And she's basically just using that mm-hmm. to her advantage mm-hmm. again. So uh, she's a she's a almost irredeemable villain at this point Yeah, uh, in, in my mind with Zemo. I mean, he's irredeemable, too, really. But you understand but he knows it. You uh, you understand why, yeah. right? You, and and I mean, in all honesty, you can sit there and go, "Well, that was pretty awful when he blew up that vehicle with the flag smashers in it at the end of the at the end of the show." On the other hand, uh, the the when the dude says, "You know, one world, one people," as he's closing the door, you're like, "Oh, these guys are a, are are just Hydra. Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah, yeah. Hydra. yeah. Yep. 
and and having these guys still alive is just going to make it worse. So while you're sitting there going, I cannot support Baron Zemo for what he did, and yet, how can I really blame him either? Yeah, um, yeah. JP, JP, look like you want to say something here. You're assuming that's Sharon. Oh, oh. Oh, and not a scroll shape shifting a Sharon. Yeah, that's very Secret War. That is very That's very yeah. secret invasion, yeah, mm-hmm. is to have somebody in a high position of power doing very unlikely well, and unlikable things. We, we don't have uh Electra or Spider Woman, so yeah, yeah. Interesting. But no, Tim, I'm with you. I uh Sharon's heel t- Sharon's heel turn was really frustrating. And also the way like you like you mentioned, the way she used Sam. Uh, was made me mad on a like uh, because for a show talking a lot about race and I'm sure this wasn't unintentional but it was like so the white woman's just gonna as the the first thing she does is like oh hey you're the Captain America now why don't you spend some of the freshly earned capital on me a poor white woman who needs your like help and it's not like, a poor white woman I know and she didn't need any white woman she didn't need any help it was yeah. just so that I I was uh, right away it was like man she'll use anybody like that was just yeah I, I'm with you. There's a, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, Sharon. I, I never considered her possibly a scroll. That's a great. That's a yeah. great idea. Um, Can't I, 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 I did see someone say like, well, you know, after Falcon and Winter Soldier, I went back and watched uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier and Civil War, and I gotta say, I, I'm not convinced that she wasn't in Hydra, and when Captain America like. Uh, uh, stood up against them, she decided to go the other way at the moment. Sure, uh, saw which way the wind with, was blowing. Well, she's the one that hits the intercom speaker so that Steve can hear Zemo's interrogation. And there's a there's a bunch of stuff mm. she does that's like, on its face, it really looks like she's on, you know, Captain America's team and everything. But like in the long run of things, that's also someone who is in Hydra that wanted to protect themselves in that situation would do uh, to to earn that trust and and, and whatnot. And I, I'm not saying I necessarily that's believe that. Pretty, that's a pretty long con if they're playing yeah, that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but there's I, a piece. Go ahead. No, please. Uh, that's that's just it. I mean, I think that's a viable theory too. There's something that's missing that we don't know. It Sharon, feels that way. Given who she is given you know her relation to Peggy, given what she has done, there's another piece of this puzzle that we don't know yet. It could be the double secret Hydra agent. It could be Skrull. It could be some sort of trauma that happened that we haven't seen off screen. Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, it's important to note that, that both with WandaVision and with Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I, I keep saying Winter Soldier, but yeah, he's yeah. like secondary character. But anyway, <laughs> um, with both of these... Um, they had to cut scrap some of the shooting yeah. because of the pandemic. So maybe there was more that mm. they were trying to do with Sharon that they just couldn't get done. Um, for, for what it's worth, it turned, it seemed deliberate at least short. So I, if I hadn't yeah. been, if you, I didn't know that they had left some stuff. I mean, I guess I, hearing it, it makes sense, right? Everybody probably had to, you know, everything that was filmed around then had to had something that was incomplete, but that's, yeah, that that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I just, I maybe, Maybe there was that, but I mean, definitely. I, I have Sharon just pissed me off. I was like, Yeah, really, really? Sam's right. going bending bend over backwards for you, and you're like, Sweet, I get to make more money. Um, yeah, right, you know, that, 
that phone call on the way out is just so fucking like, like, don't worry, we'll have government <laughs> secrets soon. Oh, the secrets we could watch. It's just yeah, like, that, man, if, if you're I, like if, 50 feet out the door. So yeah. <laughs> if there's a if there's if there's a least favorite post credit sequence for me in in all of Marvel, that's gonna be right up there near the top because <laughs> it is. It's kind of it's kind of heavy handed. I thought. Um, oh, and it's it's a good juxtaposition against Bucky's character too. Yeah. If she really was good, good and fell, Bucky's going in the opposite direction. So you see these two characters mm-hmm. that are uh, essentially becoming <laughs> the flip side of each other. Mm-hmm. She's gone down this bad road, and Bucky is now. I mean, I I love the redemption of him. Yeah, I, I thought it was so good. I I, I want to get to that next real quick. I do want to say one of the things I loved about John Walker's villainous bit was uh, when he started losing his when you when they killed Lamar and you could just see something snap in his head and we know because I mean we know he's got PTSD right we know he does oh, yeah. because he because he's anybody who's got that many medals of honor for doing mm-hmm. the shit he did is going to be suffering from that kind of a thing. And right. so we're seeing, we see that as a parallel to Bucky, right? They both, you know, and, and to some degree, you know, like the, anybody who's been in fights, but you know, Bucky is really haunted by the trauma of what he was made to do in, 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 in what they considered a war. You know, John Walker is haunted. He doesn't consider himself a hero for what happened. He's just the guy who survived and that doesn't feel very heroic. And so when they kill Lamar, who's like his, his, his backup, his guy, like his rock, right? And he, you see him snap him. Yes. And when he is just unleashing on that flag smasher with the shield and just, just hitting him over and over in the blood it's like oh my god stop stop he's already dead you know, like, and i and all the people had their phones out and that was such a real moment to me of like oh you fucked up like and that felt also i mean the guy he killed was black john walker is white like there was also very much a i felt like an allegory to the police killings and police brutality there as a crowd is filming it and this white guy and you're all like is he gonna get away with this like are they gonna let him get away this is on camera and even with a punishment he still gets away with he does and he still gets a promotion basically yeah like he gets to keep his job they shuffle him off to another department and a (laughs) a different precinct he keeps his job oh he's put on administrative leave for a while and he has to go through a really hard trial you know but like but yeah it was it was right around the time of the Chauvin verdict was yeah. happening when the trial was happening and I remember thinking this is so deep right now that it's like everyone's filming it and we're all going to see what happened we all know what happened so what happened what's the story and it goes all the way even back to his starting point because you consider it's somebody who shouldn't have the job is given the shield or the badge to go out and do this work that it should not be his job. And the only person that's keeping him in line is the black guy as the moral center. And you see that privilege come up when he's like, do you know who I am? I'm Captain America. I am this person. And I'm going to throw my weight around. And then when he walks in and he bails them out and he's like, ah, you know, we'll be in the car and you guys come out and we don't have to, you know, he's not going to be on a strict schedule anymore. You know, Bucky's going to have to just go, I mean, privilege Mm -hmm. all down the line. And just like you said, that trial just in and out and then him complaining about, you know, I was doing what I was trained to do. And it was a straight up allegory for, for that. 
down to the point where it was like he killed the guy he was pretty sure did it he killed yep. the guy he yeah. was pretty sure he mm. saw him do it even though it was actually the white girl he, <laughs> i guess he knows I don't he think didn't she's, do yeah. it like he's yeah. lying to himself if yeah. he thinks no that. he yeah. knows he, he knows he didn't do it. he lied he right. lied to, to lamar's family saying yeah. that because yep. yep. after after he killed the dude you know sam and bucky both both point Told out him. he did not kill the yep. man the person who, who killed Lamar, he killed yep. somebody else. That it was somebody that it was Carly, it. and he yep. knew it was Carly. He had yep. to know it was Carly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and 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 the fact that he goes and lies to Lamar's family and yeah. says that he killed the person that killed Lamar, you know, he, yeah. Okay. And you uh, see that that the piece the PTSD you were talking about. You see that at the very end when he says bye, Val, and then he twitches like that. You're yeah. like, yep, there he's still. He needs some help. You yeah. put him back in a costume, and he actually needs some help. Yeah, not to be back out on the streets. That's uh, we haven't really talked about uh, Julia, Julia Louise Dreyfus character, um, Val. the Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, who is uh, like the like the '60s '70s Nick Fury agent of yep. Shield shit. Like she's a she's an old spy like Nick Fury and. Uh, what a great casting Nick, again. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to see where they yeah. go with her. I'm excited right. to see where they go with yeah. her. Yeah. I and, think that's cool. It's, it's cool. It's cool to see you have another person pulling the strings, maybe another uh, secret invasion scroll connection mm -hmm. in the future. Uh, or maybe well, we'll, think... maybe we'll get my beloved Thunderbolts out of this when she with, she's making her own super team with the, uh, General Thunderbolt Ross, who we mm -hmm. know is in Black Widow. Mm -hmm. um, I think she's supposed to be in. I think she's in Black Widow too, or at least I read yeah, something that yeah. said that. that That's exciting. That, that I, she is going to be there. I hope we get to find <laughs> out one day uh, if anything and and what was changed both in Black Widow and in Falcon and Winter Soldier since their release order had to be juggled. Mm. Uh, Black Widow is supposed to come out well before this, and I'm wondering what was adjusted plot wise or what mm -hmm. will. We'll, well get in deleted scenes for that. I will tell you one thing that I think probably had to be adjusted. Um, and this is just a hunch, but you know, the scene where John Walker is, is dressing up as American agent, that US scene, agent. US yeah. agent. <clears throat> excuse me, us agent, that scene shot in the same room where the Senate hearing was held. And that yep. doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Mm -hmm. Unless mm -hmm. all those actors were already there and they're like, well, shit, we got to shoot this scene. Because yeah, now this is yeah. coming out. At, this is coming out before Black Widow. That's just a guess. But yeah. otherwise, but, why was he changing into that costume in a Senate hearing room? What? But that's also where we see Val. <laughs> yeah. Both times. Yeah. yeah. So she, maybe her office is yeah. somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Be in a thing. We need but, to get to five questions, but 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 yeah, let's please. The, well, the, we can't leave without talking about the Dora Milaje. Yes. Yeah. Thank um, you. Yes. <laughs> That was going to be my next thing, was what was your favorite Dora Milaje moment? <laughs> oh, oh, that right there, just when they showed up and kicked all their ass. Kicked oh, their yeah. Asses, and uh, the, the piece where um, she put the spear through the shield. Yeah. 
and Walker's line, but they weren't even super soldiers. Yeah, that's the yeah, best. that was great. That was great. I loved that's it. The best. I loved it when she was like fighting Bucky, and she was just like, oh, reached over and pushed whatever button made his arm yeah. fall off. She did the fucking Konami code on his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Like, did you know they could do that? No. Exploding palm technique from Kill Bill, yeah. right? <laughs> John, that, that line that we, they, they weren't, weren't even, even super soldiers, soldiers. Right. that mm-hmm. hit so fucking hard, like in so many ways, like you could see how he how crushed he was, because that's right before he takes the serum. Yeah. And yeah. and like like it's so great because it's like, oh, you thought you were the best and you thought you were like America's best and therefore the world's best. And it's like it's such a again like a privileged mm-hmm. ignorant point of view he's not aware of all of the ways in which he is very much not the best all they have is pointy sticks yeah. what are they going to do it was so yeah. i'm so yeah. glad to see wakanda out in the world now because that's they opened up right we yeah. should see more of them we should see them all over the world mm-hmm. we should see uh signs of them technologically even in the world and i i hope that means we get more yeah There there was one other thing that, sorry, everybody's like, I got, I want to say one more thing before five questions. Um, One thing I want to say about that, that we haven't talked a lot about Bucky, but one thing that's interesting about Bucky is thinking about how he fought when he was the winter soldier versus how he fights in this series. It's like Mm -hmm. Bucky's, if Bucky isn't holding himself back or incapable or afraid, I think of himself the way he is in this series, he is way more badass Mm -hmm. than, than he was in this series. And that makes a lot of sense when you've got somebody who is dealing with this memory of the assassin that he was and not wanting to be that anymore and needing to find that, that balance of, I have a job to do as a superhero, as a super as a super soldier obligation and I have an obligation, but I don't want to be what I was. And how does he figure out how to do that? Because, you know, you, you, you feel like, I mean, he absolutely fought Sam and cap to a standstill in winter soldier when Mm -hmm. there was nothing holding him back. Yeah. Um, So that was really good in terms of recognizing that Bucky is different now. And that includes his capability as a fighter. Um, So that leads into my final question. Real fast. Final thing I want to ask you is uh, who do you think like between the Falcon, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, do you feel like Bucky or Sam like had the more growth as a person, just just first instinct, like as a character, as a person, just like who came out of this, we'll say on top, because, you know, they compete all the time. <laughs> I, in my opinion, I feel like Bucky is the one that underwent more growth because Sam just was distilled down to being more Sam. Okay. Like, okay. I don't feel like, like what he, what changed about Sam is that he is more sure of his own convictions yep. and who he is. Bucky changed. Okay. All right. Uh, Tim, I'm gonna end on JP. So Tim, what's what's uh? Uh, I, I basically am agreement in, in in agreement with Nick. Uh, okay. Cap knew that that Sam was was the right person to be to carry the shield, and yep. Sam needed to accept that about himself and understand that about himself. Bucky, Bucky was broken as fuck, and okay. uh, he's still pretty broken, but he's less broken. Um, I, 
I personally feel like it was pretty even. Honestly, I think Sam had a grew a lot uh, as a and came into his own as as a man, uh, as as like being responsible for helping his family and not just being like I'm gonna be a superhero and fly around and do cool shit. Realizing I think the burden of the responsibility really came to him with that. And I think Bucky, while yes, he made great strides, you know, with his with his uh, psychological trauma. I think that you know Sam grew up. You know, in a way that Bucky already did, right? Because he's very old. But uh, yeah, uh, JP, final thoughts. Uh, and I'm going to say the opposite. I think that Bucky had a lot of transformation, but Bucky's was very personal and inward. Mm. Sam's transformation had to do very much outward mm. with not just his own personal growth in terms of wanting to take on the shield, but reconciling the idea of being a black man and taking on this mantle that represents a country that still in many ways hates and fears us and, and being willing to take that on. You know, there's a great quote from Tuskegee Airman is that there's no greater question I have is how do I feel about my country and how does my country feel about me? The, the, the idea that he has now taken on this mantle and he talked about that in that closing speech about mm-hmm. I can already feel the eyes. And oh, yeah. people who are going to hate me. He has a bigger, a bigger weight that he's carrying because it's not just about him. It is about what he represents and what that means. And if he fucks that up, there'll never be a black Captain America. It's like with yeah. Barack Obama. You know, if yep. he fucked it up, there would never be a black president again ever. And so I think he has to, I think his is a little bit bigger. And All I want right. to say one other thing is yes, that please. I really loved Bucky flirting with Sam's sister, and I so want that to happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes! That was awesome. That was and really good. Yeah. I loved him letting the kids hang off his arm yes. at the picnic <laughs> at the end. Like, like just, yeah. It was, I, I loved it. Uh, I think we can all agree that they they both had personal growth, not just individually, but as the heterosexual lovemates that they are. <laughs> the bros, <laughs> the bros together uh, forever. It was a good but, uh, thank you. movie. Yes, yeah, it was, sure. it was really good. I saw, uh, Dick read me a tweet that was like, uh, you know, in heterosexual couples, how do you know which one of you is the winter soldier and which one of you is the falcon? You know, <laughs> uh, all right, JB, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. And you wrote five questions for us. Yes. Yes, I am so excited. Let's hear I'm your five questions. Hit us up with that question number one. So, uh, if you were a superhero, who would you be and why? And, and just ignore it, doesn't matter race, gender, orientation, just, just the hero. <sighs> I want a, a clarification. Is this who do we wish we were or who best represents who we are? Who, who it, It's kind of the same question almost. All right. All right. So if, mm-hmm. if you were going to, if you pick, you pick a superhero that you were going to be. It, for me, it's, it's a, uh, uh, Doug Ramsey from new mutants, uh, cypher. Wow. That's a uh, deep cut. I, oh, he has my favorite mutant power. Potentially my favorite superpower, and that is he can translate everything and anything. Uh, uh, encrypted things, uh, patterns in music, uh, anything. And I just feel like uh, the ability to understand and, and be understood by anyone is is pretty mm-hmm. fucking amazing. Um, and that is, he's a great character too. He's just this guy, and he's on this team of mutants, and they're all 
combat powered and all that stuff. And he's a translator. Yep. He's a cipher. It's per. It's great. Good. That's good. All right, Tim. Uh, mine's uh, very selfish. I want to be Captain Marvel because she can travel anywhere in the universe, and I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think like I would probably be Hawkeye because I don't really have any powers, but I would like I have the will to train until I do, you know, like until I have something and like it wouldn't necessarily be like anything special or, or, or out, of, out of the ordinary. But like the fact that I and then also just like he's got such a he's got a weird past that when people hear about it, they're like, you did what now? And I think that matches with me. Like I've, I've lived through I've lived a lot of life that feels really weird, you know, that other people are like a carny. Like, like, yeah, you know, just yeah, yeah. Your brother's a what now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> nice. JP, what about you? Uh, it, I would, um, I go back and forth between Spider Man and Black Panther. Yeah, uh, but now Captain America. I mean, oh, yeah, I was gonna say, man, I don't know how you're not Captain I, America. But. I, I gotta go with that. I, mean, <laughs> wow. I love, right. I love what he did. So, all right. Question, next, next, question two: uh, If you were trapped on Mars and you could only have one band, group, singer, composer's music to listen to for the rest of your life, who would it be? Trent Reznor. Mm. Yep, mm. Nine Inch Nails, but also all of his film scores. Uh, I would be able to listen to the, the things he did with uh, Atticus Ross. Uh, I mean, they've won tons of Oscars. Like, I would I would go with Trent Reznor, mostly Nine Inch Nails, but also there's, if I want atmospheric music while I'm on Mars, there's a lot of good, weird, haunting melody stuff that he does. Uh. Nice. That makes me revise my answer. All right. Well, Tim, do you have an answer? Uh, I mean, this is a really, really tricky one. But in terms of somebody who has produced a lot of different varieties of music that would uh, probably allow me to, to not want to slip my wrists um, because I'd be able to listen to a lot of different things, I think I want to go with David Byrne. Um, mm, that's a good choice because he's yeah. done a ton of music inspired mm -hmm. by a lot of a lot of different uh, ethnic music from around the world. So it would it would it would provide a lot of variety if I'm trapped on Mars. So that's where I'm going. That's good. I still think okay. So I almost changed mine to DJ Shadow, mm -hmm. but it's going to be Run the Jewels. Run the Jewels uh, yeah. because it's four solid albums with a whole lot of of variety in between the tracks with a lot of great guest stars. Uh, and plus, you know, if I were to just say Killer Mike, actually, then I get all of Run the Jewels, mm -hmm. a couple of DJ Shadow yep. tracks, yep. his whole collection. Yeah. Okay. It's Killer, Killer Mike. Mike. Yep. There we go. All right. JP, what about you? Sam Cooke. Oh, yeah. Mm. Sam has been my favorite since high school and the breadth of, I mean, from his gospel to his blues to his pop and, and it's just... He is such a powerful singer and, and a powerful figure within black history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's good. All right. Question number three. Who's your favorite comedian? Bo Burnham. All right. Hard, hard yes. Bo, yeah. If you haven't seen Bo Burnham's specials, two of them are available on Netflix, I believe. And uh, the first one you can probably find on YouTube or something, but he's amazing. He is a musician. He writes hilarious one-liner bits. He does he's, He does everything. I think he's the, the real deal. 
and he's so young. So I hope we get yeah. to see lots more from him. I, I honestly, I was trying to think of someone else when I came, when I read the questions, cause I knew you were going to say Bo Burnham. <laughs> and honestly, right <laughs> now, I, I can't think of anyone yeah. other than Bo Burnham that would yeah. be that in that place, just because he's so fucking te- He's, if you're not familiar with Bo Burnham, he's in promising young woman. He's the guy she dates for, for quite a while yeah. in the movie. That's him. He, yeah. he also wrote and eighth directed eight, the movie Eighth mm-hmm. Grade, which is fucking amazing. Yep. Yep. I guess. I thought you were going to. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Not Yeah, please. I, I'm, no, having I a lot of, I'm having a lot of trouble with this one. I, I don't know that I have a ton of favorite comedians, but... Uh, Right now, I've been watching a lot of John Mulaney, and he's fucking hilarious. I was, I was, oh, yeah. he was my. It was so close between Bo Burnham yeah. and John Mulaney. Like I was like, but ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, agreed. Yeah, but I, I really like Mulaney, and I wish he had more stuff out because mm. that, like, I've run through all the specials. Have you um, seen the sack lunch bunch? I started that, and it just. <laughs> it, I wasn't quite weird. ready for it because I was I was looking for more stand up and he yeah, just was doing yeah. odd stuff. So yeah. I got to go back to that. Uh, but but for me, I I think favorite is is probably Richard Pryor. Mm, um, yeah, Richard That's a good is call. funny and poignant and 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 makes you makes you think about things. He was yeah, great. yeah. I uh, boy, there, there's I just I have such a. I have such a special spot for strong writers and everybody we just talked about. They're all such good writers. Like they write such tight material that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Question four. You wake up and it's the zombie apocalypse. No. There's pandemonium no. in the streets. No. You have time to grab three things, not including pets and loved ones. They can come along with you. What are the three things and where do you go? Uh, it's, it's so uh, over the pandemic, I did took a bunch of like on like uh, you know YouTube first aid uh, stuff and uh, got like a bunch of like permits and training and stuff out of the way. Got my transmitting permit for for uh, shortwave radio and all that as disaster preparedness. So my answer for this is I grabbed two backpacks and a good change of clothes. <laughs> Because mm. I've I've got like a backpack they, that has my like yep. that has like a tarp and like water cleaning and filter supplies and all that stuff ready to ready to roll out and then and then just a, a another like thick good change of clothes. Uh, Tim, what do you know? What you would bring? Uh, it would have to be a good good. I've got a lot of like good hiking clothing. So, you know, good for cold weather and warm weather. Uh-huh. I'd have to grab that that outfit. I'd have to grab a camp stove and um, a skillet. Cause... And where are you going? Yeah, where are you going? Oh, where am I going? I'm going to the Renaissance Festival. If ever there was some place where all the weapons would show up, that's the fucking place. Yeah, that's a good oh, yeah. idea. It's basically got a moat, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, it's very, very easy to defend. And lots of people are going to show up with weapons. And since I didn't bring any, best choice. <laughs> Because I don't have any. I, yeah. so I forgot. We, we would be going to, uh, I have uh, cousins in greater Minnesota that uh, grew up on a working farm. Mm. And and uh, the uncle on that side has like a, a horticulture de- degree or agriculture degree. So, uh, yeah, I'd probably drive to their farm. 
It's a good thing you didn't say we because I will be going somewhere else. Oh. <laughs> I'll, probably, I'll probably go wherever you go. But my thought was I'm going to grab uh, my copy of Stephen King's The Stand. I'm going to grab uh, my uh, my uh, my jar of fiber powder. I know that's stupid, but I'm going to grab <laughs> my my unopened jar of fiber powder because that's you just you don't know how much you're going to need it. It'll, it'll do you some good. And then uh, uh, and then I'm going to grab uh, my my sheep that I've had since I was like 10 years old, my little stuck sheep. And we're going to Gander Mountain, baby. We're going to go to REI oh, or Gander Mountain. Sure. I'm going to because that's where I'm going to have all the supplies mm-hmm. that I'll need to pack i gotta i can grab a backpack i can i will i will say i have looting no problem with me you loot away loot it like I, it's fucking, yeah. i don't care what's happening i don't really care what's happening is there an opportunity to loot loot it up like that's like that sounds like a them problem <laughs> well played i gotta say that's the first time i've had somebody say Gander Mountain. Yeah, or you go someplace to get easy, easily defended. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I would, I would go ahead and um, I would take my Captain America shield. You know, just right mm-hmm. there, grab mm-hmm. that. Um, I would take a uh, source of uh, fire and uh, that I could use, um, and then I would take uh, something that would be able to like a multi tool. Yeah, that's I good. Do things. And then I would go to Halley because it is cinder block walls. It is has a gate on the inside. I've got a flat rooftop that I can see. For yep. I don't know my staff. If the zombie apocalypse comes, you come here. Yeah, Plus, yeah. I have another Captain America shield. I have a Stormbreaker that was Betty Ray Bill's thing. So nice. I've got weapons there, too, yeah, that yeah. I can utilize. Yeah, I changed my awesome. answer. They're horrible, but they're weapons. I changed my what? answer. I live really close to Halley Q. I'm going there. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you in the door. Oh, they're nice. open to everybody. That's the whole that's, deal. Halley Q. So you, should, you should give them your money. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. They're making a movie of your life. Who plays you and why? What kind of a movie is it? And how does that movie end? Ooh. So, all right, I will, I will jump on this grenade to give others time to think because I have, feel like I've got a good one here. I think I should be played by Jennifer Lawrence uh, because mm. we are very similar in our uh, inability to not say what we're thinking. And she makes very similar faces to me with the like, ah, and like we, we, have, we, have, a, we have a similar facial structure, you know, and, the, and I think that would be good. Uh, the, it is a comedy, obviously. It is a comedy movie. It is not a rom-com. It is just a straight up, it's a it's a comedy like Booksmart. Like it's a, it's a raunchy, filthy, uh, ladies forward feminist comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ends with me dying uh, on my deathbed and I die after I say something really embarrassing. Like I say the wrong thing and everyone laughs and they're like, don't you mean? And it's like, oh, she's gone. And then that's it. And that's the end is, is uh, it's so funny that she died on that last thing that she fucked up. Yeah. I think, okay, so... Initially, I was like uh, Ethan Supley because we look so much alike. But I think I'm, I'm changing that with the theme and the type of the movie. I'm going to go with uh, Seth Rogen will mm. play me, and uh, and it is a a like a cringe comedy, mm. like, uh, like Napoleon Dynamite, more like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. I think, okay. really. Uh, and and it is uh, it, it, it like a embarrassing or awkward 
comedy, slice of life. It's a little bit mean sometimes. Like, this, like who's this asshole? But, right. But yes. you're the asshole. Like who's this asshole? Yeah. And and uh, and it it ends with uh, something incredibly you know awkward happening and the the curb your enthusiasm music playing and me looking right at the camera or Seth Rogen looking right at the camera and just doing a shrug like eh? like what are you gonna do about it and then and then the credits roll all that's right. it all right that sounds good Tim uh, yeah I'm gonna say uh, I would be played by Christopher Mintz Plas since apparently I kind of look like him you too a little yeah. bit um, or he looks like me because I'm older. Fuck him. He, yeah, he can uh, play a young, a young Jim. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, it would be, it would be a comedy, but I'm pretty sure it would be kind of a, a Coen Brothers comedy, if you know what I mean. It would be, uh-huh. it would be kind of awkward, and um, maybe not have very much of a plot, and likely, <laughs> likely would just end with my cat like licking my face while I'm in <laughs> in my bed, and and yeah. not really ha- having any kind of ending that makes any kind of sense uh, because that's that's pretty much my life and that's that yeah. would be a Coen Brothers movie. So there you go. That's good. my answer. That's good. All right, JP. Uh, I used to say Brian Gumbel because people would say we looked alike. Sure. But I don't think he's really that much of an actor. So I'm going to go with Jordan Peele. Ooh, and yeah. What, uh, I, it would be a action comedy, kind of like a Deadpool. Um, <laughs> but with a, an air of um, you don't know what's true and what's not. Ooh, unreliable so, narrator. All through there, you know, just action scenes and weird situations and stuff. And so you you wouldn't get the, you know what was true and what's not. And it would end kind of like um, Shakespeare, not Shakespeare's um, uh, Game of Shadows, uh, Sherlock Holmes, Game of Shadows. Oh yeah. You think he's dead, and then. You know, pulls off the the pillow, the case, the, the camouflage, and types some little thing on a page or something that gives the question mm. of, is he really dead? I hey, know. I love it. That was great. Those are great five questions. Thank they you so great. much, JP. Uh, we have been Geeks Without God. If you liked our discussion of The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, please tell us what you thought of the show in the comments on Facebook or uh, that's probably the only place, maybe on Twitter, if people are I there. Mean, I guess. Like the, Website's getting overhauled still. We're working on it. Things are happening. Uh, uh, I will keep saying it until it's done. And then I'll be like, the website's done, guys. Hooray. You should go look at it. Yeah, but that's not now. Uh, also, uh, you can give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you do find this podcast. We would appreciate it. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your coworkers. Uh, you know, tell your coworkers it's a geeky podcast if you have to. Let them find out the atheist part on their own. Uh, we don't want to out anybody. Thank you so much again, JP, for being on the show. Uh, we are so grateful to have your insight, and we have such great friends, and we love when they come on the show. So thank you. Uh, and your Marvel expertise is mwah, like just second to none. I know Nick really enjoys being able to, to comics talk uh, with somebody. So thank you. And uh, from all of us here at Geeks Without God, we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. 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 You know, if we wanted to make this episode more like the Falcon and Winter Soldier, we'd rename it right now. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We don't recognize moral authority. We don't accept divine superiority. We're geeks, geeks without God. Need more geeks without God? Go to our website, read our blog posts, find us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at Geeks Without God. Social media! We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're
Because some privileged fuck was given the steering wheel 